You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Philip Jordan Show on this Tuesday morning. We're back for another week of episodes, and I am Philip Jordan, in studio host and producer of Dothan Football on I6.9 The Legend, and I am the Auburn writer for Last Word on college football. Got a fun show planned for you guys today. We're going to look back at some news and notes from the weekend. John Summerall leaving Troy for Tulane. We'll talk about Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman Trophy, and some news and notes for Alabama, Auburn, and Troy basketball. And today we'll be having our first preview of the college football playoff. I will have somebody on that talks about each team, that covers each team, I must say. And we'll start things off today with Texas, with Jonathan Davis, who is the host of Locked On Longhorns. So he'll be joining us in just a little bit to preview the Longhorns this season, how they've been successful, what has Sark done there to get this team where they are at in year three with him there. You know, they go into the SEC next year. They are the three seed in the 14 playoff. And we'll get his thoughts on their matchup with Washington coming up on January 1st in the Sugar Bowl. Before the, all that, let you guys know you can find me in the podcast. Find me on social media at P. Jordan SEC. Podcast is available over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of this show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight up hater. Now let's look at some headlines from this past weekend. And we got to start off the big news, I think, for a lot of people around here is John Summerall, head coach of Troy, headed over to Tulane. Um, not a surprise that John Summerall would leave Troy after a 23 and 4 start in his first two years, but leaving to another group of five had some people surprised. But look, it's we look at situation, you can kind of understand it. On Friday, he the news started hitting, and then it came evident over the weekend he was going to leave Troy. He was an assistant there at Tulane 10 years ago. Uh, per Pete Thamel, he'll be signing a six-year deal there with Tulane. As I said, he was 23 in Fort Troy with two Sunbelt titles. Pete Thamel also reported Troy had offered a five-year, $1.4 million contract to John Summerall to stay but he decided to go with Tulane as his next stop as a head coach. And obviously, you know, it hurts Troy fans for this hearing this news after two great years with John Summerall. Greg Gasparato, the defense coordinator, was named the interim head coach for the team. He also got to look at two, and yes, he's going to another group of five school, but at the same time, and Look, the Sun Belt is awesome, and it's great football. Every single week, 12 teams in this league are going to play in bowls over the next few weeks. But you also got to look at John Summerall. I think, look, Tulane, the American Athletic Conference, maybe has a better shot at getting into the college football playoff. You know, obviously, they can pay you more, and this could be another step. Okay, if I come in – keep Tulane what they're doing because Willie Fritz has done a great job there at Tulane. But if I can come to Tulane, kind of keep adding on what they're doing, maybe I do get that Power 5 school. There was reports that he was being looked at by Duke before they hired Manny Diaz as their new head coach. Mississippi State 
rumors were out there. And, of course, Kentucky rumors. He played there. He coached there. And if Mark Stoops had left to go be the head coach at Texas A&M, a lot of people believe that John Sumrall would have become the new head coach there at Kentucky. So his name was mentioned when you go 23-4 and four, Troy two years in a row, winning like they have, you are going to get noticed. Now, he did release a statement over the weekend for the Troy fan base. The opportunity to serve as the head football coach at Troy University the last two years has been a privilege, privilege for myself and our family. Troy will always hold a special place in our lives. The lifelong friendships we have made during our time here has positively impacted us. The collective effort of many has created positive momentum for Troy football. I am forever grateful to Dr. Jack Hawkins, Brett Jones, and Troy University Board of Trustees for entrusting me to lead this program. The staff and players have given much to bring Troy football back to where it belongs. Thank you to the Troy fans for cheering on and supporting our program. I am thankful to have had the opportunity to visit with our team as a whole and many of them individually over the last two days. We have shared tears, laughs, hugs during the, these conversations about how special our time together has been. The program is made up of incredible young men, and these last couple of days reinforce what I already knew. Troy football has always been about the players and will continue to be. It has been our honor to watch these young men grow together and pursue excellence. The best is yet to come. Go Trojans, John Sumrall. And then the Dustin Eagle had an article came out over the weekend too as well that Coach Sumrall was cleaning out his office. And just a little bit of quotes in there, I really recommend you go check the Dustin Eagle out. Just not just for the Troy covers, the high school covers, Alabama, Auburn, all great coverage. But in the Dustin Eagle article, they had a quote from John Sumrall saying, I met with the staff yesterday and met with the team. These kids, I love them and care personally about them. And I had quality. Op- I had a quality opportunity last night to spend a lot of time with them one on one. The way this program has been built, it's been built on love. And of course, Troy will go on to play Duke in the Birmingham Bowl on December twenty third. So we'll see where Troy goes from here. Uh, there's a lot of rumors and speculation on where they will go next as the next head coach of the Troy Trojans. And uh, we'll keep you updated on that search here. Uh, Next up, we're going to kind of go outside the state for a second. Jaden Daniels of LSU wins the Heisman Trophy. I think this is the guy that should have won it. This is the guy, if I had a vote, I would have picked. We do our rankings over at Last World College Football, and I had gave Jaden Daniels the nod as my number one guy. 72% completion percentage. 3,812 yards, 40 touchdowns, four interceptions, over 1,000 yards rushing this year, second in the SEC in rushing yards. He had 503 first-place votes, 2,029 points, 90.46% of the ballots had Jaden Daniels on it. Second place was Michael Penix Jr. with 292 first-place votes. Bo Nix had 51, and Marvin Harrison Jr. had 20. Coming in fifth was Florida State's Jordan Travis. Sixth was Jalen Milrow from Alabama. Oklahoma State running back Ollie Gordon came in seventh. Eighth was Cody Schrader of Missouri. Then you had nine and ten, a couple Michigan guys, Blake Corum and J.J. McCarthy. So the third player from LSU to win the Heisman, of course, in 2019, we saw Joe Burrow win the award. Now, so I got some football news from around the state in college football. Alabama 
five-star wide receiver commit for 2025. Ryan Williams has reclassified to the class of 2024. The Sarah Lane wide receiver had 11 catches for 230 yards and two touchdowns and also a kickoff return touchdown against Clay Chalkville in their 6A championship game. Loss, he had 30 touchdowns this year. He is the number four wide receiver in the 2024 recruiting class. And this is also one – some Auburn people thinking maybe he could be flipped. We'll see. Auburn's already got a loaded class coming in wide receiver. So we'll kind of see how all that goes down. Speaking of Auburn, three-star wide receiver Dylan Gentry commits to Auburn. Uh, he is out of Central Phoenix City, teammate of Cam Coleman. So – you know, Auburn's got him. You got Perry Thompson coming in. You got Bryce Kane coming in. So Auburn's got a lot of big time receivers coming in. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there uh, with that rec- with receivers there and the one that's Alabama right now, Ryan Williams. See, did they flip? I don't know, but we'll see. On the Troy side of things, Kamani Vidal was named to the AP third team All American. He led the Sun Belt this year with 1,582 yards and 14 touchdowns. Javon Sullivan made the Action Network All-American team. He had 16 sacks this year, 17 half tackles for loss, and 52 tackles. And some big news for Troy, wide receiver Chris Lewis will be returning to the team, average like 23 yards per catch on the year. And now some basketball stuff around the state. On Saturday, Auburn defeated Indiana 104-76. Auburn is now 6-2, bouncing back from that upset loss to Appalachian State. Aiden Holloway and Jalen Williams both had 24 points apiece. For Holloway, he was 5 of 8 from three-point land. The team overall from three-point land was 14 of 29. They only had two turnovers in the game. And also, Katie Johnson came off the bench with 14 points. For Auburn, next up, they'll play UNC Asheville, who's 5 of 5. They will play that game at 7 o'clock at Auburn. And you can check that game out over on SEC Network Plus or ESPN Plus. Alabama fell to number four Purdue on Saturday, 92 to 86, to drop to six and three on the year. Alabama has not had consecutive wins since their four and zero start. They had no answer for big man Zach Eady for Purdue, who had 35 points. Mark Sears did have 35 points of his own, but it was not enough for Alabama. Sears was eight of 16 from three pointer. Next up for Alabama, they will not play until Saturday when they go to number eight Creighton, who's eight and one on the year. That game will be 7 o'clock, and you can watch it on Fox. Detroit lost to Dayton 82-70 to fall to 4-5 on the season. Christian Eugene had 16 points and 6 assists. Next up for Troy, they will play Southern at New Orleans. Yes, that's the name of the school. 6 o'clock on ESPN+. So that's kind of your headlines for the weekend. We're going to do our normal one-minute break, but then when we return, I'll be joined by host of Locked On. Longhorns, Jonathan Davis, right here on the Philip Jordan Show on Wiregrass Daily News Sports. 96.9, the legend is your connection to classic country legend. But Digio Strategies has other options, too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m., and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America. 
at night and Coast to Coast AM keep you company and connected throughout the night. Plus, Fox News, the Alabama Radio Network, and Wiregrass Daily News keep you informed with national, international, state, and local news. And with more musical choices like all the hits, 106.7 KMX, Today's Country, 95.5 WTVY, and Music 107.7. Digio Strategies gives you more choices and more variety. Listen on air, online, and on our apps. 96.9 The Legend is just the beginning. All right, my guest today, we're starting looking at all four playoff teams. And we're going to start so with the Texas Longhorns. And joining me is Jonathan Davis. He is the host of Locked On Longhorns, which you can listen to every single day. And, uh, Jonathan, I appreciate you taking time to come on the show talk about the Longhorns, future SEC member, uh, Texas Longhorns. Yeah, future SEC member. I appreciate you uh, for having me, Philip. And it's just such a blessing uh, that the Longhorns are playing at this time of year. You can't take it for granted. Two years ago, we went five and seven, weren't even bowl eligible. And not only were we playing at this time of the year, but we're playing for a national championship potentially. So uh, just a, a great time around the program, a great time for the University of Texas, uh, Sark, and all of these players. And I'm excited uh, for the Sugar Bowl on January 1st. So is it safe to ask this question? Because it, in the past, it was all you shouldn't ask it. Uh, is Texas back? I think so. You know, I, I know most fans would say they want to see sustained success, right? But I think when you look at what Steve Sarkeesian has been able to do the last three years, I think when you look at the way he's been able to recruit at the high school level and the transfer portal level, and I think what you've seen from this Texas football team on the field this year, right? 12 and one, and they certainly look like. You know, I, I could be biased, right? But I think, you know, amongst the other four teams, they look like a legitimate national championship contender, as do the other three teams in the playoffs. I think the committee got it right. So I would say that we are looking at, you know, a Texas team that doesn't feel like, you know, a team that just had a lot of talent and went on a run this year. But this looks sustainable for years to come. The way that Steve Sarkeesian has built this, you know, and the way that he's recruited you know, I think Arch Manning will be all world. Right. And we might have Quinn Ewers for another year and then Arch Manning come in after that. Right. So um, this thing, you know, this program right now looks like it's built for success. It looks like one of the top programs in college football. Once again, I would say that I think we're back. But like I said, some fans will maybe want to see sustained success. But I think that's on the way with the way Steve Sarkeesian has built this program. Yeah, and also you have a third quarterback in there, Malik Murphy, who showed a lot of good things when he had to come in for two games for Quinn Ewers. So it's it's an embarrassment of riches at quarterback right now for uh, for Texas. Really at every position for Texas, right? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we looked at it and it said this is probably the most talented roster Texas has had since the Mac Brown era, right? And so it just speaks to the job that Steve Sarkeesian has done. Because when we look at it, you know, people will say, well, Texas has always had talent, right? So what's really different than, you know, what they're doing now? And of course, the the biggest counter argument to that is, well, you know, Texas hasn't invested in the trenches. But, you know, I'll challenge people to go back and look at that team that went five and seven in 2021. And yes, they shouldn't have gone five and seven. But just compare that roster two years ago to what that roster looks like now, right? Where you have a defensive tackle winning player of the year in the conference. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's how deep this Texas football team is. You know, you have true freshmen that look like, you know, they could be players of the year in certain conferences and Anthony Hill, you know, and and, and things like that. So um, this Texas team is just deep. They're loaded. They're well coached. The players are developed. You know, they're playing at a high level and, you know, (laughs) yeah, they're reaping the benefits for sure. 
Yeah, and it has been interesting with the with the the, the three year build with Sark because you mentioned the five and seven year, but they started five and one that year. And then after the Oklahoma game, it feel like it just it unraveled. And then last year, you had moments eight and three. I mean, look, I'll say this, and look, I'm in Alabama, so I may make some people upset with me. I think Texas beats Alabama last year if Quinn Ewers doesn't go down at the end of the first quarter, just the way they were moving the ball in Alabama, and the way their defense played against Alabama last year. And then now you look at. 12 and 1, the Oklahoma loss. I know that's that's the, the one I saw on the season so far. Uh, but w- what were your expectations for this team coming into the season? Yeah, I, I underestimated this team. You know, I uh, did a segment on my show um, last week. Um, I stole it from Colin Cowherd on the herd, you know, where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. But I did, you mm-hmm. know, where Jonathan was right, where Jonathan was wrong. And coming into the season, I said that this football team would go 10 and 2. Right. I still thought that they would be Big 12 champions. Um, I did not think that they were a playoff team. So I underestimated them in that regard. And I said that they would go 10 and 2. They would lose to Alabama, which that did not happen, obviously. And they would lose to Kansas State because Kansas State had not beaten us since 2017. And I didn't even have a ton of faith that Kansas State would beat us. I just said 10 and 2 when I had to find the second loss somewhere. Right. So I picked Kansas State. I was like, they're going to be pissed off. They're not going to lose, what, seven games in a row, you know, with Texas on the way out to the SEC. But they did, right? And I'll never pick Oklahoma to beat Texas, so I'll always be wrong if that happens. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, my expectations for the team were just go 10-2, and two, take care of business, win the conference on the way out, and then we'll focus on making the playoffs when they expand the field to 12 teams. You know what I mean? But, uh, like I said, this team certainly exceeded my expectations that I had for them preseason. Um, I think myself, like a lot of other Texas fans and people that, you know, are affiliated with the program and the team – thought that there would be that one game where Texas does Texas things, right? And they either play down to their competition or, you know, they lose a game they have no business losing. And we didn't see that from this Texas football team this year. So my expectations were 10-2, and two, a Big 12 championship, and they went out there and exceeded my expectations and made it to the college football playoffs. You know, I'll, I'll go be honest with you. I thought it was a pretty cool moment for the Texas side of things uh, when Brett Yarmark was handing over uh, that trophy. I, I almost I don't know if you're a wrestling fan, Jonathan, but I almost <laughs> thought it was poetic justice that the Undertaker was up there with a with a yeah. championship belt. I said it felt like you know he was getting the WWE bad guy reaction uh, yeah. from the Texas fans. I mean, hey, you know, with the stuff that's been said, I I do not blame them. The only thing that would have yeah. made it better in that game to me had maybe Texas beat Oklahoma, then you would have had both future SEC teams play yeah. in there. But still, still that was that was kind of funny, uh, a funny moment there at the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, you know, I, I I wanted to play Oklahoma so bad just because, you know, I wanted to address the one blemish on our record. You know, thankfully, um, it didn't really matter. We didn't have to. You know, we got in with the Oklahoma State win. But, yeah, I mean, when Brett Yormark, you know, it was surprising. You know what I mean? I, I still think he's done a really good job, you know, reforming the Big 12 as much as you can, losing two powerhouses like Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, and I think he's a cool dude, you know, just objectively speaking, like seeing what – um, you know, he plans to do with the conference and, and everything, and he just looks like a savvy businessman. But to align himself with Texas Tech <laughs> of all schools the way that he did and uh, to openly, you know, root against the, you know, the clear favorite to win the conference in favor of Texas Tech. You know, I mean, I, I just yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm over here calling him a savvy businessman. You know what I mean? I might have to take that back. But, you know. He chose to to make that bid, and, you know, over the course of the season, we made him lay in it. So, yeah, it was a, a special moment, um, you know, for, for Brett Yormark to have to deal with the Longhorn Nation 
uh, in that regard. And the SEC chant was just the cherry on top. You know, I don't expect that too much more from the Texas fans, but in that moment, it was acceptable. Yeah, and obviously, if people are watching this, they if they can look under uh, on my side of the screen, they can see what my Twitter handle is. So they probably they can see where kind of where I may have my allegiance with the the Twitter handle is P Jordan SEC. Uh, let's talk about this, uh, some of this team, the players, and Quinn Ewers. I mean, I'm looking at his stats from last year to this year, and the one that jumps out to me the most is the completion percentage, going from 58 percent to 71 percent. I mean. That's just – you don't see quarterbacks do that a lot. You know, it's one thing with your accuracy. You either have it or you don't. You don't usually improve on that much. But for you watching him play this year from last year, what have been some of the big improvements you've seen out of him that's really turned him into one of the best quarterbacks in the country? Yeah, well, I, I really think that, you know, this year he started taking a profit a lot more, right, where last year was kind of like – uh, you know, OK, I'm just going to throw the deep ball, you know, <laughs> and figure it out. And hopefully Xavier Worthy can get it. You know, this year he's taking the short to intermediate passes. This year he's making the check down. This year he's taking off with his legs or at least he was earlier in the season before he got knocked out for two games, um, you know, when there's nothing open in the passing game. So um, really just his ability to be more productive and be more efficient within the offense. I think also you have to give Steve Sarkeesian credit um, with that 70% completion percentage because a lot of that is the way that he's calling the game uh, for Quinn Ewers, making sure that he gives his young quarterback more layups, whereas last year he relied on his young quarterback to just throw the ball down the field way too often and he wasn't successful. Um, as a red shirt freshman. So you give Steve Sarkeesian some credit for calling the game in a manner that allows uh, Quinn Ewers to have a high completion percentage. And then he's just showing more poise and command in year two in the system. He understands where to go with the ball. He understands a lot better than last year what he's seeing and, you know, who's going to be open and where he has mismatches and, you know, where his bread is buttered. <laughs> you know, so I think that Quinn Ewers uh, has really taken that year two leap that we expected. Um, and he's been one of the best quarterbacks in college football this year. And I'm excited if he does indeed, you know, decide to return to the University of Texas for another year in their first year in the SEC. Then I'm really excited to see the year three product of Steve Sarkeesian and Quinn Ewers. When you're talking about Quinn Ewers being one of the best quarterbacks in the country and a legitimate Heisman candidate going into 2024. So we saw the year two leap. In, in 2023, and he certainly was one of the best quarterbacks in college football this year, and I think he has a chance to be even more dynamic in 2024 with Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, I've already seen him on top of some of the Heisman proje projections for next year. So uh, he comes back. That's I mean, you don't see three-year starters at his level of talent in college football anymore. A year or two, you're gone, or you know when you can get out. But for him to come back, I mean, he could go, and he, he's going to get drafted. But to say, hey, I need to get better, that says a lot about him. And then, obviously, if you're a Texas fan, you're just giddy and excited because, all right, uh, we may have two national championships here because he's that level of player. Yeah, and it benefits him when you look at it because, you know, I mean, right now you would have to project at least, I would say, four or five quarterbacks in the first round. And, I, and right now I'm not sure that Quinn Ewers has a first-round grade, right? And so you say, okay, you know, I come back next year and I can be – in that Caleb Williams, Drake May top of the draft class conversation rather than being quarterback six, seven, or eight this year. It just makes a ton of sense, right? Especially in the NIL world where you can come back and get paid handsomely for your services at the University of Texas. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There, there's no short of funding uh, there in, uh, in the state of Texas. That is, uh, uh, yes, that is for sure. Don't play at home. Stay on your chest, family on your back. Come to Texas. You ain't have to worry about nothing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, uh, 
let's talk about the guys around him offensively in the running game with Texas because you know the passing game is awesome with what they have with the receivers and even at tied in with J- Jatavian Sanders too. He's he's electric for what he can do with the ball, but the running game. Of course, Jonathan Brooks goes down against TCU with the ACL. Their running game has been still good. I mean, just talk about the guys that have kind of filled in for him, like a CJ Baxter or Jaden Blue, who had 121 yards against Texas Tech uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so I think the running game is interesting. Um, and I think that one of the reasons that this team has been so successful this year is because of their identity, right? You know, we talked about Quinn Ewers first, and we talked about all of the weapons, you know, around him. But this is really a football team that prides themselves on running the ball and stopping the run, right? Steve Sarkeesian has had a thousand yard rusher every year that he has called offense, right? He likes to run the football, right? And then everything kind of works off of that. Um, and he has the ability to be explosive in the run game and the passing game. Now you had Jonathan Brooks, who was on his way to winning the Doak Walker Award before he unfortunately went down um, against TCU. And then the game after that was Iowa State, and Cedric Baxter had his first 100-yard game of his career. The game after that, you just mentioned Texas Tech. Jaden Blue had his first 100-yard game of his career. But against Oklahoma State, it didn't really matter because Quinn Ewers was on fire, breaking records in the Big 12 championship game, threw the ball Mm -hmm. 46 times. Jaden Blue and Cedric Baxter both averaged less than four yards a carry. So what's going to be interesting moving forward into the playoffs is can Cedric Baxter and Jaden Blue continue to give you the type of production they gave you the last two games of the regular season or the type of production you were getting from Jonathan Brooks over the, you know, majority of the regular season if not and you have to play you know one-handed or you know if Quinn Ewers has to carry you to victory is that something that this football team is you know comfortable with is that something that Quinn Ewers is you know comfortable with and capable enough to do to beat a team like Washington on a big stage like that without a running game so uh, this Texas football team prides themselves on running the ball they pride themselves on being balanced but I'm not sure if we've seen enough of a sample size from Cedric Baxter and Jaden Blue as the guys yet to fully say that I expect them to go into the Sugar Bowl on January 1st and be able to run the ball at a high level with just Cedric Baxter and Jaden Blue. It remains to be seen. Um, they certainly have the talent to do it, right? But, you know, losing Jonathan Brooks is a huge blow. And like I said, the last time we saw those two running backs on the field, they both averaged less than four yards a carry. So I think Texas's running game can be strong, but it is a question mark going into the playoffs just because we haven't seen a bunch of those two guys behind Jonathan Brooks. You, know, you talked about the Big 12 championship game. Last time we saw that game, we saw Xavier Worthy go down with injury. Uh, what's the latest on him as Texas is ramping up, getting ready for the playoff? Yeah, I think that, you know, he came out in a, b- a boot. It seemed precautionary. Um, everything from Steve Sarkeesian sounds like he'll be ready to go. Um, but, you know, you're praying that he's 100%. I think even if, you know, Xavier Worthy is 80%, that affects this football team with the way that we target him and the, the way that we expect him to get open and make plays all over the field. And he was an All-American punt returner, right? So it's not even just in the, the passing yeah. game. He's explosive whenever you put the ball in his hand. So, um, you know, I expect him to be full go based on Steve Sarkeesian's comments. Um, and anything less than him being full go for the Longhorns uh, could be advantage Washington. And, you know, before we jump into Washington defense, I mean, the te- I don't think the Texas defense gets enough accolades or talked about it a lot because, I mean, and I get it, Quinn Ewers, what the offense does. I mean, that's – look, offense sales. I mean, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk to quarterbacks, receivers, and running backs. But this defense, I mean, best in the Big 12 across the board. And then what they do against a run, only allowing 80.8 yards per game on the ground. And that's huge when you get in these kind of big, big games, making these teams – one dimensional, and you got two all big 12 defensive tackles sitting right there in the middle 
with Sweat and Murphy. And then Jalen Ford is right there behind them. Uh, just, you know, the, what you've seen out of this Texas defense as the year's going on. Yeah, um, really, to, to me, this kind of the culmination of a three-year project, right? If you looked at this Texas team in 2021 when Pete Kukowski first came over, they were a mess, right, especially in the second half of games. And then you talked about it earlier with the Alabama game last year. Right? You started to see the flashes of a defense that was turning a corner at the University of Texas. And I feel like in, uh, you know, our two biggest regular season games last year, TCU and Alabama, the defense shone bright, right? You know, the defense was, you know, amazing. And the offense couldn't carry us to victory in those games. If not, we're potentially talking about a Texas team last year that could have won the Big 12 championship, you know? So uh, when I look at it this year, it finally all came together, right? Jalen Ford came back for another year. He was dynamic, just like he was last year. Tavondre Sweat obviously took a huge leap, you know, putting himself into early round conversations and the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, Byron Murphy was just as amazing next to him. Big 12 defensive lineman of the year in the conference. And the edge rushers were really good. Um, so, you know, you really had a strong front seven. And you have very talented players on the back end, even though the Texas def uh, pass defense, you know, ranked in the bottom half in the country. Uh, a lot of that is because teams had to pass against Texas because they were down by, you know, double digits. and You can't run the ball against them. Uh, but they still have a lot of talent on the back end and they can make plays and they forced a turnover their last seven games of the season. So, um, yeah, this defense is ferocious. They fly. That front seven is hell to deal with. Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy are hell to deal with and they can make plays on the back end. And that's what's carried them to 12 and one and a chance for a national championship. So let's talk about the Washington Huskies. Of course, these two teams played in the bowl game last year, but you know, that's, that was last year. You know, this is this. Uh, these are two different teams, I think, from from last year. Uh, you talked about that back end of the Texas defense. Michael Penix, runner up for the Heisman Trophy, uh, excellent receivers in Jalen Polk and Rome Adunzi. Uh, how do you see Texas matching up with Washington in, in this game? Because a lot of people are going to pay attention to quarterbacks, but you know, how how are you seeing this matchup? I think it's just going to be all about pressure, right? I, I think that when you look at it, you know, Michael Penix Jr. has led the you know nation in passing two straight years. He's been with these receivers two straight years. They've won 20 straight games. They're in a rhythm. You're not going to be able to stop their passing game. And I think Dylan Johnson is very underrated as a runner, although we are talking about the third best rush defense in the country. So I'm not sure how productive he'll be, right? But, you know, when we look at the, the Texas pass defense, right? You know, there is some context to their ranking being in the lower half of the country because, like I said, teams are down, they're throwing the ball a lot, and you can't run the ball against them. But this is also still a defense, you know, that gave up, I think it was uh, 12 or 13 passing plays of 40-plus yards this year, right? So they did give up some explosive plays, and, you know, you can't make plays against them in the passing game. So I think if it just comes down to, you know, Michael Penix Jr. and his receivers against our pass defenders – Washington is going to win that matchup, but what is the great equalizer turnovers and, you know, getting the quarterback on the ground. So I think we're going to have to get pressure on them. I think we're going to have to force them into one or two uncharacteristic mistakes, because like I said, if it's just his receivers and Michael Penix Jr. against our DBs, based on what I saw this season, that's advantage Washington. Oh, when you look at the Texas offense against the Washington defense, look, you look at the Pac-12 numbers, you're not going to see Washington's defense up there. I, I think they're a better defense than probably stats will show you. Just the Pac-12's got a lot of really good quarterbacks, and they're going to put yardage on it. It's just kind of how it is. But the Texas offense versus the Washington defense, anything concerning or sticking out to you with that matchup? 
Yeah, you know, I talked about it and, and I said that they may not rank great statistically, right? But you don't get to 13 and 0 without having a timely defense or a clutch defense, right? And when they needed to make stops this year to seal victories or get the ball back to Michael Penix Jr. to get the victory, they did that, right? And that's why they were undefeated and, you know, Pac 12 champions and they're legitimate national championship contenders at this point. I think the uh, main objective for Texas is that they cannot let their red zone offensive woes come to a head in this game, right? I think they're going to be able to move the ball, right? They're too talented and too well orchestrated with Quinn Ewers right now at the helm offensively and Steve Sarkeesian, you know, I know we don't talk about this a ton in the media. We like to blame coaches more than give them credit, but he is humming right now as a play mm -hmm. caller, right? This offense is hitting on all cylinders and if they can run the ball, then it's going to be a long night for Washington. But what they cannot do is get into the red zone, get into the money areas, and then settle for three, right, mm -hmm. instead of getting seven. Because this Washington offense does a really good job <laughs> of getting seven. So if you allow, you know, this Washington defense to be bend but don't break, but, you know, make crucial plays and allow you to get field goals while their offense is getting touchdowns, then it doesn't matter how many yards you put on their defense if you can't turn it into points at the end. So um, I think that, you know, this Texas offense won't have a problem moving the ball, but they have had a problem scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And you can't do that in the playoffs and expect to win a national championship. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting game. So I'm uh, not necessarily ask a uh, prediction because I, the game is a few weeks off, so not going to ask all that on you. Just uh, any final thoughts on, on this matchup as we uh, we close up our conversation? No, I, I, I just want to, you know, continue to reiterate. Um, hopefully there aren't any Florida State fans lurking, <laughs> you know, listening to this. I just want to continue to reiterate that um, I think the, the committee finally got it right. You know, for me as a Texas fan, it's a blessing to make it in the era of four, you know, because I think now moving forward, it won't really mean as much to say I made it to the college football playoff with them allowing 12 teams in. Um, but when I look at it this year as a fan, right, this is the first time in however many years I can remember that all four teams had a legitimate chance to win the national championship. If you told me Michigan, Alabama, Texas, or Washington won it, I would not be shocked at all. So I'm really just blessed as a fan that we're going to get four really good teams playing for a national championship here in a couple of weeks. And I'm just couldn't be more excited, but obviously, you know, I'm hoping that Texas, you know, comes out on top of the Longhorns get their first championship since 2005. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, it's going to be fun. Like I said, all four teams can't, do have the ability to win this thing, so it's going to be fun on January 1st. And uh, this has been fun, Jonathan, having you on the show. Uh, if the listeners and viewers want to check you out online, where can they find you? Where can they find Locked on Longhorns? Yes, you can find uh, me at Locked on Longhorns on YouTube, Locked on Longhorns, wherever you get your audio podcast. You can find me at Locked on Horns on Twitter. You can find me at Johnzo Ball. That's my personal Twitter. And you can find me where I live in Houston, Texas, celebrating the Texas Longhorns winning the national championship. Hook them. Well, there you go. There you go. There you go. Well, anyways, Jonathan, it's been fun. And I hope we can do some again sometime down the road. Yes, sir. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Philip. Can't wait till we get to the SEC next year. All right. And once again, thanks to Jonathan Davis for coming on this edition, the Tuesday edition of the Phil Jordan Show here on Wiregrass Daily News Sports to talk about the Texas side of the Washington matchup. Now, we will have someone on that covers the Pac-12 on Thursday's show to preview the Washington side of the game. But we we'll have two guests on Thursday. Are recorded recorded on Monday. Uh, Chase Robinson, who is the ESPN Plus broadcaster for Jacksonville State Gamecocks football and basketball, he'll be on to preview the New Orleans Bowl between Jacksonville State and Louisiana. 
and I will get into that on Thursday show. Gonna also try to preview all the bowl games featuring in-state teams. So of course we'll have Auburn in a few weeks, and then we still got Troy next week and South Alabama too as well. So we'll, we'll try to do that too. So a lot of bowl previews, a lot of playoff previews here on the show. And that's going to do it for today's show. Remember, you can follow me on social media at PJordanSCC. The podcast is available over at WiregrassDailyNews.com or wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. You can always email me at SportsTalkFieldJordan at gmail.com. Check out all my root work over at Last Word on college football. Anyways, I will talk to you guys on Thursday. Until next time, bye-bye.